Rob, yeah. you need you need an avatar, man. I see Mike and my brother, but you just say RJ. Oh, like a tool bag. Uh, well, hey, oh, is our Ethan? Are you on? Uh yes, I am. Hey, man, good to kind of meet you. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, via Skype, internet um, handshake, and all that. Yeah, I know, right now. Okay. Hang on, I'm going to get me an avatar. Yeah, I'm going to work on that. You guys continue whatever you were talking about. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put internally at your disposal. Did you guys see the email I forwarded to you from Center? <laughs> I did. I, I just saw it. I haven't read it yet. I see CD Ethan on it. I did see it. It was a screenshot because it looked like it was cut off a little bit at the bottom. It was well. Oh. She had in it a screenshot from Facebook from her oh, okay. cousin, I think. Just the great work we're doing in Detroit right now. We're just wow. doing so much great work. Us. I love Detroit. <laughs> So how uh, how are you guys doing? I'm good, dude. I got a new yeah. My little brother Ross had his first kid last Thursday, so I got a new nephew Thomas. This is your little brother. Awesome. This is my little brother. Yeah. Wow, how's that? I know. Technically, oh. his his wife had the kid. I just want to be clear about that. Well, that's well, fair. he is Ethan is, is the that expert. how that works? <laughs> uh, as, as far as I have seen, that's usually how it operates. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's just okay. your truth, man. See, yeah. <laughs> no, that's okay. That was that was honestly the most closed-minded thing I've heard in days. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it was it was very cool because uh, it is my little bro. So I was super super pumped and. Yeah, I mean, from what I could tell, it actually was my sister-in-law uh, that had the baby, not my brother. But uh, it was, yeah, it was very, very good. So I was home all weekend. Yeah, life is good. Nothing too new to report on the CPE front, mm-hmm. honestly. Just kind of grinding away, getting more comfortable in the visits and stuff like that. So it hasn't been, honestly, it hasn't been too bad uh, the last couple weeks. Matt, your story last week... Uh... Woo. Got some good reaction, dude. Wasn't it, that's not my story, man. Well, I mean, it's true, yeah. But the story you told I, via really, really shoddy Wi-Fi. Yeah, but I told it incredibly, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I will. Take Don't all the kill the messenger. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, I mean, yeah. Thanks be to God, because that's honestly not my story. But I was also this weekend up in. Uh, actually Cincinnati visiting my best friend who had actually married another friend from high school um, that we all went to high school and college together and I had actually dated her and then they ended up getting married and just had their first child so I drove up right away and stayed with them for the weekend and um, was basically in the hospital the whole time but that was a powerful Man, I, Ethan, you would probably know better than any of us about having children and whatnot, but it was just really raw. Like, that's the best way that I can put it. Once the baby is out and, um, like, every all the focus is on the baby, I, I was just so surprised at how little of a filter there was um, for, like, the medical professionals coming in, mom just being very open about everything that's going on, and... It was a super beautiful experience to like be that close to the situation, but it's easy to romanticize childbirth. It is really intense, man. Well, how, I mean, I was in the delivery you? room. Where, where were that? you? How present were you through the the <clears throat> delivery? I, I was not in the delivery room. I was not in the delivery room. As a matter of fact, I showed up. Um, like I don't know, the baby had been born for like. Uh, a day or half of a day or something like that. But just to see the physical toll that it had on the mom mm. and to see how little they slept and like, I, I, I mean, it, part of it's being in a hospital, but um, there's just this like openness to anybody coming in and obviously not anybody, but the, the doctors and nurses and yeah, I just found it to be very, very raw. Um, 
but it was a it was a great joy to be there and i mean that in like a, a, a human way um that it's, it's not romantic there is <laughs> like the stories they were telling about the actual delivery uh, i guess they hit me in a new way because it was a friend that i had grown up with and any little fluffy ideas about like having a baby they just go right out the window <laughs> man and they give you these these nitty-gritty details and you're like what <laughs> that oh my gosh you know so it was just it was um a move from the head to the heart you're like hey this is an idea of pregnancy and birth and this is what it really looks like so it was it was it was really special for me it was a great blessing to be there i guess i don't know yeah. this ethan were you in the room for those you're fine uh, oh yeah that's uh that's not an option anymore uh, hmm. for the dad as far as far <laughs> as far as I understood it um, but I you know I remember when the first one was born um, and I mean you're right this is it is not nearly the romantic beautiful uh, you know songbirds and rainbows situation that people would lead you to believe um, well I learned that freshman year of high school they had a video they made us watch yeah but it uh, it's worse than that video that <laughs> That video is that's done by professionals. I think she'd had 47 babies at that point. <laughs> yeah. Because it was like she sneezed and the baby came out. That's and true. that is as my experience goes not how it happens. And they cut to the and, chase too. Right. Uh it's uh every time that I've been a part of that, I always think to myself there has got to be a better way to do this than this. <laughs> we have t- we have computers, we've got pocket computers and we're still doing this barbaric situation right it's it's crazy it's like what are we Uh, farmers but i remember when uh junior was born it was just me and terry and the delivery had a little bit of excitement but everything came out just fine and i remember he he came out and his head was all squished like (laughs) like the alien movie alien or i can't remember which one it was it made for tv thing like v or something and they had these little like cone head type things and I was all nervous. I'm like, I can hear kid. some of your coneheads screaming in the background. Oh, I know. They're theoretically eating dinner. Um, <laughs> but he comes out and I'm looking at him like, oh, wow. I have a really weird looking kid now. Jeez. <laughs> well, now this is happening, I guess. It, it pretty much. And then one of the nurses goes, whoa, look at the conehead on that one. And I <laughs> So even to the nurse who is abnormally coneheaded. Right. <laughs> but I figured if they're making jokes and laughing in front of me, that probably wasn't a big deal. Right. So. It did. Everything got rounded out just fine. And he could wear a hat like a regular kid. So it's all good. <laughs> I, remember, I remember, they, I remember when, when Junior after, was born, too. He doesn't they, look like Marge Simpson or something? No, but that's what it was like. It was really, it was freaky. They should, these are the things they don't tell you about in school. Um, <laughs> but then they, I remember they handed us the baby and then everybody left the delivery room. And it was just me and Terry and this little human. And it was like there was no paperwork to sign or background check or anything. They just ha- like, here's a human and good luck with that for the next 18 to 20 years. Wow. It was uh, it was a little nerve wracking, but you just make it up as you go along. How old were you when you had him? I think I was 24. Wow. I, I know that I had three before I was 30. That wow. part I do know because it kind of rhymes. And that makes it easy to remember. Three before um, thirty. I did one thing I that really caught my attention because my sisters have had uh, kids, but this is yeah the first one for my little bro. And he was talking like the next day, or maybe it was a couple of days after he was born. He was we were in the room like visiting with with them and Holden Thomas and all this cool stuff and. Uh, Ross, my brother, uh, changed his, his diaper, and then he was talking to my mom about, like, he hadn't been sleeping very much and all this stuff, and he was like, yeah, I tried to take a, my brother was like, I tried to take a nap today, but I just couldn't, like, I just couldn't sleep because, you know, I was always afraid, like, if he was going to roll, like, not roll over, but something's going to be wrong or whatever. And my mom kind of said it jokingly, but also kind of serious. She was like, oh, yeah, the days of sleeping soundly are behind you. <laughs> like for the rest of for the rest of your life like you will not sleep soundly again and uh i was just like holy crap that's that's like a true that's a true statement for my brother uh which is 
it just that was maybe the thing that like I don't know it's just a moment that kind of blew me away I was like man that is that's crazy meaning like no matter how long or how independent or whatever there's yeah. always this person out there that could be at risk that if something I, happened to him you would be devastated I think so yeah I mean just like you always I think at least from I know like my parents still very much feel it, but like you always just have a sense of responsibility for your kids like when you bring them into into the world you know it's not like a that never that never goes away just like the amount of I don't know how you would say it the amount of love or like whatever that goes into being a parent but you know it's that don't never you think, I, I, my off. instinct I don't want to be sexist or anything but my instinct is that's more of a mother thing like the the protective uh i don't know just like that that protective instinct of if anything bad happened you know worrying i don't know that something bad I, is going to happen I, I just don't see that too much as a dad thing at least my dad well, that's yeah no that's <laughs> That's I think my dad true. probably slept pretty darn soundly. <laughs> That's Still very does. true. But I'm also thinking about like how many times we woke up my dad in the middle of the night because like we needed to go to the hospital or something like that growing up. And well, you were doing pile drivers in your basement. That did that did happen. Nothing happened. No, nobody got hurt with that though. That wasn't that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Mom was completely irrational <laughs> with her punishment towards towards that, but. But, but either your, way, in like, that story, your dad is asleep, and then he's being woken up to go do something. Yeah. So it wasn't like he wasn't sleeping. He's like, "Well, they're doing pile drivers. I'm going to get a nap for a little bit before <laughs> I got to take one of those knuckleheads to the hospital." That's true. My point still holds. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's also a part is of it. Drastically different. No. Now. No. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But that's also a part of it. Is like when you get to the phase where you maybe don't worry so much, then your assistant. Is, your assistance is kind of forced upon you. Like you're not sleeping anymore because now you're driving kids to the hospital because they're that <laughs> age. So either way, I don't know if my, I mean, my, I remember my dad, even when I was, you know, able to um, stay up late and drive, you know, drive on my own and kind of get back later. He already doesn't sleep. He sleeps <laughs> with one eye open. No joke. And, uh, <laughs> I I mean, I remember him telling me, like, look, you can stay out, but know that, like, I can't sleep until my house is locked up and everyone is protected in my house. And uh, he would hate when I would come home from college and, like, go and hang out with my buddies and get home at two because he'd have to leave a door unlocked. And he's like, don't you get it, man? There's something in me that I can't sleep until my house is secure. And so he would always tell me, like, just stay over at their house or don't go at all. Um, but my dad's also pretty extreme on that stuff. <laughs> so I don't know. Have you stopped caring about your kids, Ethan? Yeah, when does that happen when you stop caring yeah. about them? Tell us about that, Ethan. <laughs> uh, you learn to care in different ways, I think is probably... It's very the thing well is, said. Wow. It, the thing about... I, don't, I was thinking about this as we're getting ready for... Or I was getting ready for this podcast of so what we're going to talk about. And I was trying to think about... What are some parallels between my experience as a father and and my faith journey that I've been working on really more lately than any time? And I think the similarity is that it's a constantly moving target Um, with kids. You know, they get older and so you have to change what punishments they have and you have to learn, well, they, you know, this kid doesn't like this and so we got to do that. And I mean, honest to goodness, we have Google Docs spreadsheets for each kid and transgressions and punishments just to track everything because it can't be the same (laughs) It can't be the same punishment for each kid. And it, it constantly changes. And the same thing with, you know, I've been working. We've got this great parish down here um, uh, in McKinney, just north of Dallas. And it isn't the prettiest church, but it's the most vibrant uh, faith community that I've ever been a part of. And so, you know, I did a retreat um, called Christ Renews His Parish last year or the year before. It, was, it started actually kind of the day that I flew back after Grandpa Coyle's funeral. Oh, yeah. Um, so I went on that, and that was about a year and a half um, between the retreat and putting on the next retreat and then helping train the next group of guys that did the subsequent retreat. And I don't know, I had a weird experience as I went back to help those guys put on their retreat, and I helped just serve meals and set up beds and everything, and I was watching them 
kind of move through the sanctuary and being, you know, very respectful and conscious of where they were. And I remember back to when I was in the middle of it and really aware of that stuff. And I just in the past few months drifted away. And I guess the parallel here is that with the kids, you know, this, what they need changes, what their goals change. And the same thing with, as I tried to mature in my faith is, you know, I got to keep my eye on the ball and keep, keep working at it. Um, and what that it changes from day to day, sometimes it's getting up in the morning and reading scripture. Other times it's, you know, getting over myself and going to reconciliation or what have you, but it's all, you know, every day is a little bit different. You just, I try to just do a little less crappy than the day previous. Um, <laughs> that is a high standard. <laughs> a, little, a little less crappy. Yeah. <laughs> I resolve to confess my sins, to do penance, and to do a little less crappy. Amen. <laughs> I'm trying to be realistic. You know, I've been weirdly, I've been thinking about something similar to all of this talk of kids, how uh, my life is so, uh, you know, people kind of think of priestly life as this crazy, oh my gosh, you never know what's going to happen, what's going to come around the corner and somebody could call from the hospital and people can die and at a moment's notice you've got, you know, a funeral or whatever. And that's true to some extent, but compared to a parent, my life is so reliable and predictable. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, yeah, you guys talk about all these chapter books that you read all the time. Yeah. you have just <laughs> an embarrassment of riches as far as free time go. Right, which is, which makes it a big responsibility how you use that free time in, in a mm -hmm. way that's actually uh, for the mission, you know. Because there's, have, a, there's a reason why we have that free time, why God yeah. and his people give us that free time to pray and to read so that on Sunday... Those people who are running around every day with these uh, children who have a mind of their own and do the wrong thing sometimes and do the right thing other times, like they want to hear what you, the God person, has to say. You know, you've been talking to God all week. Give me a word of hope or whatever, admonition. But yeah, it was just, it was just occurring to me, like looking at parents with kids of all different ages, what a huge uh thing that is to just have this person who's completely dependent on you and like that spreadsheet of punishments you know like they're all unique and constantly in need of punishment <laughs> 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 and correction right this is crazy it yeah it is a lot more work than i really anticipated and this um, is why when i see <laughs> when i see people in the hospital coming out you know, teenagers with babies and maybe the boyfriend's there or maybe not. I just think like, wow, how are you going to do that? It just seems like, I mean, there, we have the extreme, the other extreme too of like the overprotective helicopter, you know, nothing bad can happen to this kid and no assault on his self-esteem. But the, the alternative of just sort of like the laissez-faire I don't care or don't understand even how to how to mold and shape a person because maybe you weren't molded and shaped yourself or there was some deficiency in that. It's just, I mean, like you said about when Ethan was born, uh, you just, everybody leaves and then it's just you three and it's like, good luck, figure it out. Yeah, there's, there's no, there's no, I remember the one, the one piece of information, there was some uh, book, uh, what to expect when you're expecting. And I think there was like, it was 97% for the mom and then like three pages for the dad. And the one part that I remember from my particular section was that when they advise you that when you give the baby a bath, the wet baby is very slippery. <laughs> it reminds me of the <laughs> office when, uh, Dwight and Michael are working with the greased up watermelon, <laughs> trying to get him not to drop it. <laughs> but I, re I remember when Junior was born myself, uh, I wrote an article about that in the Nutria News. Uh, I was the opinions editor that year. And I wrote about my brother having a baby because I was a senior. And Is he, that the paper for U of I? Yeah, the U of I paper is called the Nutria News. Okay. No, it's my high school called Nutria, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue what it is. Oh, man. You just got owned. Um <laughs> No, but about life going on, it was just, it, I remember that being a profound moment because you and I kind of look similar and Ethan looks like us and it was just weird. I, the, the memory I have imprinted on my mind was him 
just laying in like a swaddling bundle on this freshly made hospital bed asleep and like grandma was there and mom and dad and then grandma picked him up when he woke up and was like putting his red hair into a mohawk and was just like what the heck is this ethan had a baby i remember him walking around in his boxer briefs coming in at two in the morning (laughs) 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 this is nuts oh but it but it it is it is crazy but you just kind of as any parent i'm sure would say is you just adjust to what the new normal situation is and that just is your life um as glib as that sounds like you your focus is no longer what it was the previous day it now has changed and sometimes it takes a little while usually the moms understand that right away the dads it takes probably you know 10 years or so to figure that out Mm -hmm. um (laughs) but you just kind of like i don't have free time and so i don't even think about it anymore i just go and i do all the things and i you know that's what life is just like you have the you know the the structure to your life it's just it's different right it's not harder or anything i was uh this makes me think of a chapter in the oaks book that i was just reading yesterday and today speaking of chapter books we get to read because we have so much free time because we don't have kids (laughs) we're basically just bachelors um (laughs) but he was talking about original sin and uh like the whole paradox of original sin being um like the human beings that basically how how hard it is to understand how we are we are all responsible for some primordial fall like Adam and Eve thousands and thousands or hundreds of thousands of years ago whenever the human race first uh evolved and came into being that there was some primordial fall some decision to turn away from God and now that's affected all of us even though we weren't there we had no responsibility for it but we all are somehow culpable and therefore in need of grace and in need of Christ and his redemption and all that. And he's one is I thought the thrust of his argument was basically no matter how mysterious or um, difficult to explain this doctrine is, it's just relentlessly true. And anytime we try to uh, deny it, like through the perfectibility of human nature, like from Pelagius on to, Marx and Rousseau and all these philosophers who thought, or, you know, political philosophers who thought, boy, if we just, you know, had the right conditions and stopped having people uh, have these perverse incentives or motivations, we could just make a perfect society, you know, and, and everybody would be, or even Kant with pure reason, let's just, we can all agree on reason, let's ditch this religion stuff that divides us. And every single time we try to do that, it's just chaos. You know, because people are sinners and they tend, you know, there's just no way to perfect human nature and freedom. The freedom we have is not this neutral yes or no. It's it just tends to go in the wrong direction. And that's why, you know, the baby comes out and they're so innocent and pure and it's just all pure potential energy. But you still go and baptize them because, you know, even though that kid hasn't sinned, it's definitely a sinner, you know. And the the thought that really struck me was that um, that our experience of sin or our experience of of making mistakes or doing the wrong thing, even though we know what the right thing is, is always an acquiescence. It's always a it's not like an uh, Adam and Eve primordial fall where the kid comes out perfect and then at some time in the future decides to fall from grace. It's like we're just acquiescing to this overall human decision to live without God. Does that make sense to like, to just sort of drift into it? And so that's why our experience of grace is always resisting the urge to sin. Uh, And so that's why like the spreadsheet with the punishments and why trying to do a little less crappy than yesterday all makes sense to us because we tend to, and this is not just a depressing Calvinist view of human nature. It's just the the naked fact of original sin that we tend to do the wrong thing. And that's part of what makes parenthood so stressful is that, I I don't know, Ethan, doesn't it stress you out that, and why 
your brother can't sleep at night. I mean, maybe that's just because he might roll over and not be able to breathe or something like that. But when he turns 16 and gets his driver's license, it's going to be because right. I can't guarantee that he's going to make the right decision. In fact, knowing myself at that age, he probably will make the wrong decision, you know? Oh, yeah. Because that's just the way we tend to go. And unless you've resisted that uh, and formed him in in a different way to resist temptation and stuff like that. I, I don't know. That's that idea just really struck me like, yes, that's how I experience it. I have, even though I have these habits and I've tried to ingrain myself in prayer and, um, you know, not talking bad about people or, or different temptations that come. If you let your guard down and you, you stop focusing on God and trying to live the way he wants you to live, you will tend to just dissipate. I watched the OJ Simpson thing. Did you, have you guys seen that yet? Oh, no, I, I want to see it, actually. It was like an illustration of this uh, par excellence, you know, and here's this guy. I knew the story because I think I was like 10 or 11 when that trial was the only thing on TV. It was the most boring thing ever to me as a kid. But you watch this. Uh, I watched the Made in America ESPN 30 for 30. It was like five parts. And at first I was kind of bored by it, but then I just got more and more into this story. And you see this guy who... Um, just wants to be accepted and loved and admired and be famous and it just eats him alive and he can't handle rejection and he he you know and then he decides to lie about the fact that he did this crime and you just see in his face and in his mannerisms and and in his fall from grace even after the not guilty verdict like here is a human being tortured by the fact that they have they have chosen the easy way you know of sin rather than something that would have humiliated and been really hard to do, uh, like admit that he did the wrong or even like beforehand, you know, tried to humble himself and, and realize like that I'm not all that in a bag of chips. I'm just, I'm just OJ Simpson. Yeah. I rushed for 2000 yards in a season, but I'm still just a human being like everybody else. But he had, he just wanted to be God. And that is all of us. We want to decide what's right and what's wrong and control other people and, so that's a that's a whopper, but that's what I was thinking about. Yeah, and you know, I I'm just gonna throw this out there because I I was thinking about this story today just to because I definitely see that as very true. But I think making that move from like okay, yeah, that's O.J. Simpson. And he had all this like fame and stuff like that. But like, how does that you know pertain to me? Like, in what way do I think I'm God, etc. Um, but have you guys ever, I listened to this on radio lab the other day. Have you guys ever heard of the, uh, what's the show? Candid camera. Yeah. I think oh, I yeah. heard this radio lab. Yeah. <laughs> this was like the most incredible story I thought, but the long story short, the guy that invented candid camera, that was like the host of the show was this huge celebrity in America. Whenever that was like 60 years ago, or it started whatever. on the radio. It was called candid microphone. Candid microphone on the, mm -hmm. on the radio. And then he, yeah, like as TV came about, he adapted. And this was like the biggest show in the country. They made it sound like anyway. And even to the point that like my generation that has never seen the show still knows the line, smile, you're on candid camera. You're like, it's on still candid around. camera. <laughs> uh, but anyway, long story short, so this guy was like this huge celebrity. And then they had like kind of adapted the show to where he would be there when you know someone got had like by by the show and he comes up and smile you're on candid camera blah 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 well anyway he is on a flight um with his family and he's going from like los angeles to new york or i don't know something like that and no joke the plane that he is on gets hijacked have you heard this connor oh my gosh yeah i forgot that part of the story though yeah so the guy that is hosting like the host of candid camera this plane gets legitimately hijacked and the hijackers want to go to Cuba. So they get into the cockpit, they like overtake the plane and this lady in first class uh, like recognizes this guy from <laughs> Candid Camera and she starts like yelling at the plane. She's like, oh no, he's here, he's here. Everybody, it's just Candid Camera. It's just Candid Camera. Oh and so everybody gosh. on the plane <laughs> that has been hijacked is like laughing. They think and they're getting pumped. <laughs> They oh think they're getting punched. The hijackers so, and, have got to be so mad. <laughs> dude, 
No joke. The, so the story <laughs> goes on this flight is the hijacker comes out of the cockpit after like, I think there was two, one stayed in the cockpit and they told the pilot where they were going. The hijacker comes out of the cockpit and like the crowd goes wild on the plane. <laughs> like they start cheering for him mm. and clapping and all this stuff. And the guy from Candid Camera is like pleading with people. He's like, no, this is real. This is not me. We are actually being hijacked. Like at one point, I guess there was a priest on the plane and the guy went up to him. He was like, father, you know, you have to like help me convince these people. This is this is a legit hijacking. And I guess the priest was like, oh, no, you can't get me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not gullible just because I'm a priest. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, anyway, the people did not know they were being hijacked until um, until they literally landed in Cuba and like armed guys came on the plane. And then all the people were like real pissed at him. Yeah, they're like, this is the worst episode of Candid Camera ever. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, and I think I'd have to re-listen to it. But the point I kind of took from it was that Radiolab tried to make was like you he in a sense like set up this alternate reality that like by default he lived in. And then when something real happened, he wasn't able to, like, get back to reality. And, like, what they drew from that then is, like, just with all the social media and different, like, I don't know, avenues we have to, like, set up false realities. At least the question that I drew, I don't know that they were trying to draw this question, but, like, the question I drew is, like, can we get out of those realities that we make up? Like, can we get back to the real world? And it's, like, ultimately... Yes, but it's, do you see the, like, the parallel I'm trying to draw of, like, trying to be God and how real that, that can be, like, every day? Yeah. Relax. Well, I, yeah. I think that in similar to the struggle of being a parent, the struggle is a constant to try to be a good Christian. And I think you, there's no, you know, perfect check the box and done situation. It's an ongoing, I mean, you're going to continually get up and make mistakes and you're going to have to recover for them and keep just getting after that grace as much as you can every day and never stop trying because you're never going to get it, but you can't stop going for it. Um, and I, I mean, that's what, I mean, that's kind of what I hear there is you got to get, get back, get the goggles pulled off your head every Sunday and then head into your week charged up. And then by the time it gets around to Sunday again, you probably need to get those goggles taken off. But it's an ongoing process. And you keep, it's not necessarily getting closer or better, but you're maturing. At least that's what I hope. Um, but that's, that's, my, that's my take on it anyway. And that's what I don't know, I just it's, keeps it's showing good, up. No, that's a good point. And I think practically that probably is how it's lived, lived out. But like even more broadly than that like that's just the story of grace is that like in our human condition like we will um we will fall away from god like those goggles will cloud our eyes at some point and it's it's like whoever whatever saint you want to talk about like even the like the chesterton lines that mumford and sons use in describing St. Francis, like where he, like he came out of his cave walking upside down and he, and he saw the world hanging upside down and he started to understand dependence. And it's like, we are totally dependent on grace because like God's action is the only thing that can uncloud that vision that can take those clouds or take those goggles, um, off. And there's no, I, it doesn't matter, at least in how I understand it, like it doesn't matter how virtuous we are. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, we, we can't do anything to deserve that, but it's just a continual, um, a continual yes to saying like, I, I believe and I'm going to trust and live my life in a way that God is going to continue to show up. And I think there, yeah, there is like a maturing that has to happen there or else like we wouldn't, we wouldn't have the courage for any type of action. Um, but at least like in my life, that's just been something that's been very consistent. It's like every step I felt like God has asked me to take, 
has come with all of these unknowns and like all of this um in a sense of like cutting of securities and it's like god's got to show up and he shows up through people always at least in in my life but um but if he doesn't i mean there's nothing we can do about it what i find amazing is that sometimes i'll look back on decisions that i made or kind of felt that i made and never And then look back at those decisions and see the ramifications of them and then just thank my lucky stars that I made those decisions because I certainly never put as much thought into them as the effect of those decisions turned out to be. You know, be it picking who I was going to marry, what job I was going to apply for, pursue, all of these things were just, you know, weird little intuitions. I'm like, oh, I probably should do this. And then you look back and it almost scares the crap out of me when I think about what if I didn't do that and I, I wouldn't have this life that I have now. It's just, it's crazy when it all unfolds and you take a look back at the inflection point. You're like, I had no idea. Yeah. It is scary, man. It, like, scared the crap out of you. I'm, I'm sure it does. It should. Because it's contingency. It's like... It is. Everything in this world depend, depends on some kind of cause, some kind of contingent cause. Like, what if our parents hadn't met in high school, Ethan, you know, then you would never even been here to think about the decision you made when you were 24 years old or, or whatever. You know, it's just everything is contingent. But in retrospect, you can see how God... See, that's the thing, Rob, the dependence thing, your, your Mumford line. Yeah. Um, the virtual, the fake thing that you believe in, which it's so frustrating that it's our default original sin position is that we are independent we everything depends on us we are the ones that have to make we're the author of our lives and of our stories and we are the ones that have to make the right decisions otherwise everything's going to come crashing down and we think that that's how things are actually going but it's not yep you know what i mean so like just a real simple example sister alicia came by a couple weeks ago i guess and on a sunday afternoon we just sat in our my courtyard and drank coffee and talked and about a lot of different things life and it's good, just good to be with her. But one thing she mentioned was like, I've been praying the rosary in the morning, first thing, to be with Mary and Jesus. And, and it's the very first thing I do now in the morning. It's helped me a lot. And I, there's something about that struck me. I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to try that. Hmm. And uh, I have been doing it. And it's amazing, that simple decision, what an effect it's had on my days and my preaching and my the rest of my prayer and uh, hmm. my mood when I'm with people who are demanding and everything like that, like, because it sets me up every morning with the right set of glasses on, you know what I mean? Hmm. Uh, hmm. that it, it's just the mysteries of Christ's life. And it's this simple prayer that I don't think that I have to, you know, magically be really smart or insightful to have a meditation. It's just the normal person's prayer rosary, you know, and you do it and you hold it and, God is there and you're there and that's how you start your day versus like starting your day and looking at your emails and being like, oh my gosh, I have so much to do today, you know, and then you're, you're spinning your wheels in this illusion world where you're the author or you're the agent, you're the driver and God is always the driver. And yeah. that, that is ultimately the original sin mystery and the, re- the redemption mystery is that it's predestination. God already knows the story of your life. But that doesn't mean that he's the one that you're not free to choose those things because it's not a coercive knowledge. It's not a coercive force. He's drawing us all to himself. And it's through these maddeningly contingent events and forces in our lives that we sinners uh, can't see are part of a big painting that he's making you know or a song that he's singing but the saints do see that you know yeah so that's uh for us on the way to heaven we're not there yet we don't see it all in retrospect and understand all of the inner workings it's just like you every day have to get up and affirm what's real which is god and our relationship to him and that he would never let anything bad happen to his children and uh and resist this is why i said that the the thing about original sin just being a drifting into sort of this default state Hmm. because 
our our work a lot of times, and I learned this at IPF, is rejecting lies. Thoughts come into your head, fears and anxieties come into your head, and you just have to say, in the name of Jesus, I reject that lie. And I send it back to hell where it came from. That, oh my gosh, you know, you might be a bad priest and, and, you know, scandalize a bunch of people and, you know, you're you're not going to be able to handle celibacy or... Like when right before I got ordained a deacon, I was like, man, I never I never get around to praying daytime prayer, uh, which is like the middle the middle hour that always gets ignored in the breviary. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do this, man. I, the daytime prayer. And, and then I just like daytime prayer. It takes three or four minutes every day. <laughs> like I can do that, you know, but yeah. there's just these lies that we think it's all about us and yeah. we think it's all on us. And the same thing with your brother not being able to sleep with the with the baby, you know, it's like because he thinks it's on him, like that, that you know, it's all on him. That's just our default human way of thinking. It's true. I don't mean to yeah. tie that into such a nice bow, but. No, I mean, it, <laughs> it, 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 like it's but it's a profound thing to think about. It's like not only. um yeah, I, I like that image of drifting. Honestly, when you were talking there, and I am by no means a Tolkien or Lord of the Rings nerd at all, but I have... I've Let's read not the live book. in the illusion world. Okay, you are a huge nerd. <laughs> well, let me just tell you a quick story. But anyway, like when I read them, it was very interesting because I read them after I saw the movies. I read them like two years ago or something like that. And sorry to continue to talk about chapter books, Ethan, but <laughs> here you go. Um, Nerd. <laughs> but I thought after reading it, I've never like, I don't know, like thrown this out there to have discussions with people about it. Cause it was, but it was just like in my take, like the most important like scene in all of those books, like the absolute linchpin to all of those books was the scene where I think it's Faromir meets Frodo and Sam because they're doing exactly that. Like they do not know the way to go to go destroy this like ring of power. And they're just they're starting to drift like they've been abandoned by their guide, I think, uh, if I remember it right. And they're they're starting to drift. And out of nowhere comes this guy his name is Faromir and he's like the brother of I don't know like the Stormir or something but okay anyway yeah. fill me in where I need it that's but Tolkien's line I wish I had it memorized because it was so good and it was it pretty much said exactly that like on on the greatest journeys like you have to realize that you will have it was like welcomed guests or something or unforeseen unforeseen friends i think is what it was called what tolkien called it along the way and it's like literally they kind of like feed frodo and sam and they point them again where they need to go so it's just this like passing encounter but i remember like way before obviously this conversation or um, anything like that. I remember thinking, I was like, that was to me, like that was the most important, like three pages in all three of those books was the, just the notion of unforeseen friends kind of coming along the way. Um, so I don't know. I just, I just throw that out there cause I thought it was a cool story and also wanted to see how you would react to talking about Tolkien in this conversation, Connor. So is that the, go. is that the one with the, uh, the wizards and Hogwarts and whatnot? God. Yes, I think so. <laughs> you, how dare you offend like that? <laughs> I thought that was the one where they talked to the whales. Or am I totally confused? That's Free Willy. Oh, <laughs> wait. Or is this the one where like the two dogs and a cat have to find their way home? <laughs> that works with Providence. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh man. Well, Mike, you got any other tear jerkers? No tear jerkers. Um, well, I have to say, it, I got to interrupt, Mike. That that story from last week was amazing for about a hundred million different reasons. Um, I thought that the the breaking up of the Wi-Fi just added to the the tension because it really <laughs> kept me on the edge of my seat. I'm like, I, I'm waiting <laughs> to hear what he's going to say. I just got to wait a little bit longer. Um, 
And, uh, you know, because Gabby spent a bunch of time in the hospital, and so we were around scenes like that. So it certainly, yeah. it it brought those, all of those sort of scenes of grace back to life. And we had a friend of ours that um, had a similar condition, their daughter um, to Gabby, who ended up going through a, a heart transplant and, and did not make it. But they do have some great pictures where they did get to bring her outside in the sun um, before she passed. So it was... Uh, mm. It was, I, I just, it was a great story. The description and the whole scene and the way that you were participating in it. I just wanted to say thank you very much for sharing it. Um, it was amazing. No, thanks for saying that. Um, yeah, it was a great privilege. It was a great honor to be there. Um, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, even to the point of all of these stories, if you look at any good story, I mean, I just thought of like 50 different examples in Lord of the Rings it's such a good story because there's so many unexpected characters that kind of bust onto the scene and end up being instruments for this, this greater good. And I guess that's kind of how I feel like looking back and reflecting on that story is just really lucky. Like, what did you say? Thank my lucky stars. Yeah. That sounds like something I would say. Yeah. (laughs) I never listened by a general rule of thumb. I don't listen to myself though. (laughs) (laughs) um because i you know i made no decision to be there like i just kind of ended up i found myself in that position um and i know in times past even when we talk about our own vocations to the priesthood um and to hear you talk about how you you know kind of fell into your vocation of um married life yeah it's much more of like okay I, this is somehow I ended up here and yeah, of course my will was present throughout all of it and these little decisions, but, um, there are so many things at work that are out of our control and, um, it, it's, it turns it into a great mystery. You have no clue where, where you're going in a lot of ways, but yeah, I mean, it's always a comfort to me to think about just the next step. Um, and I do love the glasses analogy as well. Um, I guess the way that I would morph it is like when we put on glasses, we become the, the blind guy. You know, we, we're wearing these glasses that aren't fog necessarily, but are just black. And therefore, we have to see the world with less than God created us to see it. And so we constantly need God to take off the glasses. And instead of stumbling around and like feeling our way and just hearing things, like to be able to to look and I mean just thinking of all the encounters in the gospel where people see the face of God and they have these conversion moments, they have these like metanoias. Um and that definitely that definitely resonates for me. Um because it is so impactful when you do see when you really do see the person in front of you and you see God in that person for who they really are. It's a rare moment, but yeah, that's we put the glasses back on every day and God is the one who takes the initiative and is like, no, those you're going to run into the street again because you do that every time when you can't see. Um, cars sound cool, but they're actually really dangerous when you see them moving fast. Um, so, yeah, I love that. Again, like God, we've talked about it before, but God teaching us how to live in the world, which necessitates like some outside force, some outside person helping us because we really are the blind leading the blind in a lot of ways. Um, and so the, yeah, like just seeing the world for, for how it is. Um, but on the flip side, like that can be much scarier, you know, as a parent, if you have those glasses on, it's really easy to go obliviously through the day, but to let God see your child in you know, the, the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit, like that's really, really challenging. And I'm sure a lot of us would want to put those glasses on and do things our own way and try to control it. But then to let God be present and for us to see him in those moments, that's a heck of a lot harder. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of stories illustrate the beauty of that. Um, so thanks for saying that though. I appreciate it. And another thing. It was great having you on, Ethan. Come on. I feel like you were in on the roots, man. Didn't you give us our very first microphone? 
which yes. we actually didn't use for a few episodes, but accidentally, anyway. yeah, we recorded through the computer instead of the plugged-in microphone. <laughs> oh yeah, because I, I had that from when I did the voiceover work for those cooking videos I did. Exactly. Um, yeah, and then uh, then you got better mics. You got a whole internet website. It uh, it all you know really hey all came together. Speaking of internet website, this is our hundredth episode. What? Wow. Are you mm-hmm. serious? Yeah. I just noticed that this week. I am serious. <laughs> did you hear my... Did was that accidental? Did yes, you? that was accidental. <laughs> Are you serious? <clears throat> yes, I am serious. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's funny is that I'll be listening to your podcast and Connor will say something like World Series and it'll play over the speaker and then fire off my phone. Mm-hmm. The World Series will be held in October 2016. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for that. Yeah, so I mean, it's been it's been fun to be a part of this project in a small fashion. So it's uh, and I have to say, I really, and I've said this to Connor. I don't know if he passes it along. Probably not because he's full of crap. But uh, my favorite part of the show is listening to you guys um, just grow and struggle and get back up and keep you know keep working on it. And that I think that's what I get the most out of to hear um, just your day to day, you know, what you're going through and how you turn to God and your faith as a touchstone of strength to move forward. And that's what I certainly there's not a lot of podcasts that I listen to every episode of. I, even if Connor wasn't on here, I'd probably still listen. Um, so you guys really are doing good work. And I I'd say thank you. Oh, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and you played no small part in this. Um, I think without your skills, it's not an exaggeration to say we wouldn't exist. <laughs> well, well I I, we'd still exist, but not, not as a as, podcast. No, right. I would come out of existence. <laughs> just poof. I, don't, I don't think you understand Back. how important this podcast is. Three dogs I just thought of an idea. Identity. Yes. Look, have you seen Bill and Ted's? Mm-hmm. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Yes. How they end up like saving all of the world and all of creation because of their amazing music this is that's what this podcast is we don't even know how important it is it's our phone booth time machine it's someday we're gonna save the whole world because of the peace and harmony that Mm -hmm. three dogs north well it's funny that uh i think i've gotten asked a couple of times at least one i can think of or somebody was like how do you I was wondering if I could get some advice on how to like set up a podcast and like a website like you guys have. And I was like, well, my first piece of advice is have a brother who knows how to do all of those things. (laughs) (laughs) Three dogs north are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And down, down.